ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right, we're talking the 2009 reboot of Friday the 13th on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. This is your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from the Texas version of Camp Crystal Lake. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. Now, we're going to unpack all the gory details of a Friday the 13th movie reboot with four different movies all wrapped up into one in the hopes that a... uh, Camper's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there is only one person I trust that if I'm out by the woodpile with an axe in my back, she might fucking do something about it. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? I absolutely would would risk my life and at least come out there and try to drag you to safety. Thank you very much. You wouldn't you wouldn't uh, fall into a pile by the kitchenette or uh, just endlessly debate while shoving very well muscled chests with somebody else. Yeah, I would not be just getting into an alpha male fight with with anybody else over who who's going to do less to help anyone. <laughs> it is quite a fight, but. We'll get into it. I, now, Gina, I, I don't want to alarm you here, but we are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest this week. You may know her as a writer of note and seen her work in such places as MTV, Cosmopolitan, The Hollywood Reporter, and of course, the show that she pioneered for Nerdist fangirling. It's the one and the only Alicia Lutz. How are you doing, Alicia? Hello, I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful now that you are here. I'm such a tremendous fan of you and the things that you have done over the years, um, over at Fangirling and the various things that you've, people that you've talked to, you've had great interviews over the years. And I took the chance. I'm like, oh, maybe she'll said yes. And then when you did, it made my heart sing. So I'm very happy to have you here. Oh, shucks. That's really nice. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Thank you. I, I'm glad that uh, that you like me talking words at people and them saying nicer and better words back at me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're in the same boat with that one. So you're already coming in on top on that one. Um, <laughs> we have a tradition here at the Kill by Kill podcast, and that is to ask our guests, what was the first time you encountered a movie within the Friday the 13th franchise? So I had to think about this a little bit because I knew you were going to ask this question. And I was like, huh, you know, I really had to think about it because I know that I've seen a bunch of horror films in like bits and pieces through my uh, my hands um, mm-hmm. and also through running in and out of the room. And um, I definitely saw the first Friday the 13th. Part of it? I'm going to go with part of it. Uh, well, my cousins are watching it at uh, my grandparents' house in Vermont. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Vermont. It's terrifying at night. It is covered in trees. Spooky noises <laughs> abound. Um, it was just not really copacetic for me and my general anxiety. So I think at about halfway through, maybe not even, it felt like forever. It could have been five minutes. Um, I ran upstairs and did the very cool thing that all very cool teens do you and hung out with the adults um, around the table while they drank and like talk stories <laughs> you know perhaps that was the best for your mental state at the time who knows it could be very jangling to see so much of of kevin bacon's butt in one go uh, <laughs> but to each their own um, there's nothing so, wrong with kevin bacon's derriere it's quite no. spectacular in fact it's- It's beautiful, it's round, and it's on display. It's everything we like in male nudity and Friday the 13th movies. Uh, And we just don't get enough of it uh, in this movie, in our opinion. Oh, so true. So true. I mean, I know this is like, this is still like, I wouldn't even call it early aughts. It's like the end of the early uh, early aughts. Like, really, you know, you expect a little bit more. Just a little, just a teensy little bit more. You got Jared Padalecki and Dick Casablancas in this movie? Yes. And Dick, Dick, he takes off his shirt and they don't pan the camera down. It's true nonsense. The most nonsense. This is crazy. (laughs) They're just throwing away fans, potential fans. Come on, Veronica Mars, what are we doing? 
you 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 brought me to the dance here. I want to see either Peck One or Peck Two in short order, and I don't get to see either. The camera's locked onto his neck, like everyone thinks that his his Adam's apple is the sexiest part of him. That's not true. Maybe somebody that was a camera operator on that is like a neck fetishist, you know, oh. or like a vampire, like anything's possible. <laughs> yes, we, I think we may be uncovering some things and that's great. Listen, I've been on some with- sets and you meet people that do and are all sorts of crazy things. I've been on a set where there was a pagan that worked on a set, you know, like everybody's oh, bringing yeah. all sorts of stuff to the table. Yes. My favorite sets is when you have one guy who's a grip who uh, brings Cuban coffee. There always seems to be one and that's <sighs> my favorite guy i haven't met that guy yet oh jesus i don't know i've had three sets where there's been a cuban coffee guy and that's my favorite set to be on (laughs) it's caffeinated instead of coke focused which i think is a much clearer decision making uh drug i i I have no experience with this except i am aware of what coffee is (laughs) well see you're one you're almost there it's okay not everyone has to be super steeped in hollywood lore and experience to enjoy the kill by kill podcast we're for noobs and for for pros alike so let's get right back into it um who's still left alive at this point in the movie well let's do a quick body count well we have one bad monster hunter um with very floppy hair And then we have one camp tool with floppy hair. We have one brunette who may have come to the cabin with one floppy haired guy, but now she's with the other floppy haired guy, kind of playing Scooby-Doo. We got a blonde that's spoken 10 lines in the entire movie so far. I know I counted and a redhead that we believed was dead, but it turns out that she's been chained up inside of Jason Voorhees' bat cave that he now has for some inexplicable reason. And Lawrence. To say what Lawrence is, Lawrence is the black guy. Lawrence is a black guy who we last saw uh, trying to jerk it to a winterwear catalog. And when he saw a deer head on the wall, he turned 45 degrees away from it. He's a modest man. He's a modest man. (laughs) He's right. He needs to focus is what it comes down to. There's so there's so many things like in the setup to what we're about to get into that are just absolutely absurd. Chief among them, the fact that his that Jared Padalecki's sister is still alive when Jason Voorhees, known killer, has been known for one thing killing like why like i understand that they're like oh yeah she like kind of looks like the sister or the mother or whatever like you know but it's it's just garbage it doesn't track it's not canon for lack of a better phrase the way he behaves and the way he has some sort of labyrinthian you know you cave system with 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 booby traps and underneath everywhere all all places including a bus yeah and and (laughs) just you know he's you know, much more you know cunning than, than than he's ever been in any in any of the prior movies, and it just it doesn't. You're right; it does not track at all. No, I'm not entirely sure why Jason Voorhees is pulling a Taken on this poor woman. Yeah, it's a uh, little. I, it's a little Silence of the Lambs. Like I kept every time, like they had the the bells ringing. Uh-huh. I kept thinking of the scene at the end of, of Silence <laughs> of the Lambs when you they kind of faked you out and they were in the wrong house, mm-hmm. but apparently, like Buffalo Bill has this like this like you know, incredibly loud school bell set up in his in his in his basement and so every yes. time somebody rings the bell upstairs it goes off and it's this like horrendously loud noise that's what it reminded Ugh. me of it's a little it's a little it's a little saw it's a little little sounds of the lambs and i i don't i do not like it yeah i don't know why i've seen her before <laughs> i oh wait is she a great big fat person you know? oh gosh just <laughs> I mean, ugh. yes, it's great at portraying evil, but also it's great at portraying evil. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just don't understand why there were bells there at all. Like, why Why were there bells there to alert her of somebody going by? Like, why would Jason want to alert her of anything? Like, wouldn't he want to, you know, keep her on the DL and not know what's going on? And then when he comes in, like, why does she say help? Like, why wouldn't she just assume that it was him? I had so many questions for her thought process and also for his in the whole entire construction of this weird, sad um, gorilla palace he had underneath 
at the whole entire you, town of Crystal Lake, New Jersey. You, you met. You mentioned that you, he he's keeping her because she reminds him of her, of his mother. And you know, honest to God, that is the first time that really occurred to me. That that's why <laughs> that's that's why he kept her. Well, just like looking at the weird pictures, because like the whole that whole locket was so weird. And I know this is like not at all part of what we we're supposed to be talking about, but like you know, like half of it is scratched out, and the other half is like this photo. It's like. Does it look like, did Jason have a sister? Is she long lost? Is it the mother? Like, it's just, you're just like, oh, this person looks like her. That's all we really know. And like, all we know the connection is, is like at the end when she's like, say hi to mom. And you're like, oh, so it's a sister. It's a mom. Why did you think, what is, <laughs> and, and, why did, and, and, why her? And how does she know about, you know, his thing with his mother? Yes. That's, did they now were they having long talks in this past six weeks? Because she That's the movie I want to see. Let's see a movie that's Tuesdays with Jason. And it's like every Tuesday he comes over down to her little sad, broke down nightmare palace and like tells his fucking tales. Like I would see, I would watch the shit out of that. The thing was, I was not drowned, and mom would not believe me. But then oh she gosh. goes up, she blames everybody for it. This is my Jason voice. I don't, it's I, turning I, a it, little bit into Bill Cosby. I just want to warn you. <laughs> you are getting into put in pop territory. Got nervous. <laughs> Um, I've tried my whole life to get into pudding pop territory, but uh, this is the really wrong time to do it. Um, <laughs> Miss that yeah, calling. I, yeah, I want the in in session or in therapy version of this movie where they're down there for six weeks, just the two of them, just hashing it out. And I, I really hope that as a woman who's helped her her mother. Uh, in an illness and she's she's preparing her mom to to move you know out of this life and into something else and preparing herself for that, that she would be able to help Jason with that same transition even though it's been all these years since uh-huh. also he lives in a mansion under the ground I just couldn't get over the bus one the bus one specifically like just blew my mind I was like it's coming out a bus a turned over bus why didn't somebody pick up this bus at some point like when a bus goes missing like a school bus like somebody clearly would need to like make account for that somewhere i don't understand quite why trent's family cabin has been so close to the ruins of crystal lake this entire time but it, they've never had trouble until now right yes why, why doesn't he come around before I mean, yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's not like it was covered in dust and it was like the first time that they that anyone's been there in like 20 years i mean it looks like they go there in the winter it looks like they go there in the summer it looks like they go there on the weekends so you know, why does he pick now to to suddenly start fucking with whoever you know comes to stay there well here's the thing here's the one thing trent is very annoying by and large, it's a very good chance that his family is also very annoying, and he's also brought other very annoying people to that house. Like, why wasn't Jason compelled to kill before now? That is truly, that whole family should be dead already. Oh, no, it, this Jason could have saved us all a lot of trouble and just killed off of Trent's, you know, family line. We all would be in a better place as a society. <laughs> Let's get back into the action here. Um, and I'm sad to say that the action we're talking about is sexy action Uh. because, uh, we're right back into this extended sex scene. And he does not stop talking through it. He's (laughs) constantly talking through the whole thing. It's because her boobs are stupendous. And there's there's, there's nothing wrong with talking, but he's just like, bad, bad, bad. Wow. You're so hot. Your boobs are amazing. And it's like. I mean, I really want to just put a pillow over his face. Honest to God. Yeah, he's like the worst NFL color commentator (laughs) who just says everything he immediately sees and has nothing to add to the action. He's just like, you have breasts. It's clear that he was like panicking too, but he like didn't like he didn't know what to say. Just kept saying your boobs are great, and like got to the point where he's like, "Uh, I don't know, your your nipples are uh well formed. I don't know, like you know, like he just like gets like really tactical and specific about it. I I guess the gag is is that he's supposed to be like you know the the cool rich guy, but you know oh he gets a naked lady in front of him, he turns into Jerry Lewis, you know. 
you know, he just suddenly gets super awkward for, you know, no reason other than the, you know, the plot determines it. I just don't even know if that's what they intended. Like the whole thing just came across just so weird. Like just, they, they just didn't, they like, they didn't even think they, they were so obsessed with like pointing the camera, like so close to her fucking navel. You could see inside of her like stomach, yeah. like that. They didn't even consider like what dialogue needed to happen. They're like, I don't know. Tits need to be flopping. Like he just needs to be like, Oh yeah. Movement needs to be happening. Whatever. Jason will show up soon. And everyone's going to be fucked. (laughs) What do you want me to say? I don't know. Just, just say something. I they improv the whole thing. Yeah. Just, no, just, just say something, you know, say something sexy. You know, it's like, that's, (laughs) that was sexy. (laughs) It is very odd. I mean, now part of it is that the guy playing Trent has been told multiple times that he looks like Tom Cruise. And so he studied the living fuck out of Tom Cruise movies. And somewhere in his mind, he's doing an impression of Tom Cruise circa Top Gun or that movie where he's a fancy bartender. And it's just not working. There's no amount of furrowing of brows that quite makes this character leap off the screen. I mean, he's kind of good at being a dick, but also how hard is that? You're giving him a lot of credit that I just like would not give him <laughs> for what he's doing. Like it, the, Tom Cruise, like I like, don't let Tom hear that. Like, I think he might get upset. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's wild. First time Tom has been told someone is imitating you. Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. But, like, I think his extent of his, like, studying up for this character was, like, going to a 7-Eleven on, like, Route 64 in New Jersey and was like, all right, that guy, pop a collar, let's do this. Like, it's so surface level. Yeah, I feel like he read the script and said, okay, who am I playing? You're playing the asshole. Got it. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I, I, I understand this character. They're like, whatever, this is just about that supernatural guy, so dreamy, oh, floppy-haired little, you know, demon hunter. (laughs) That's what I imagine that hopefully the whole entire set was like in my dreams. It's just two guys on different director's chairs on opposite sides of the set who don't want to go there first. Usually I'm a hunk. I'm not going first. Now he's a hunk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Too many hunks. Too many hunks, hunks. not enough air and use. Too many hunks and not enough male nips. There's the problem. (laughs) And this coitus will not be interrupted, not even by Whitney, who's broken her chains and goes running towards this cabin, actually gets there. But uh, Jason stops her just in the nick of time before she slaps that window again, kidnapping her. He's just not a kidnapper. That's not a move of Jason Voorhees. And I don't think it makes Friday the 13th better. Yeah. And if she doesn't want to be there, why don't you just kill her and be done with it? Like, I just don't (laughs) understand. He is a known super murderer. Why wouldn't he just super murder her? Yeah. I, I don't, it just has so many questions for me. The whole, you know, if this cabin's been so close to Camp Crystal Lake, you know, why has there never been any problems? You know, why is he kidnapping people? What is happening here? Why do birds suddenly appear every time that you are near? Because <laughs> just like me, they want this movie to be a little bit better. And <laughs> it's not going to happen in this segment. Um, <laughs> Jenna and Clay pop into the cabin during the sequence. They, they interrupt Lawrence's uh, self-coitus to announce that, oh, my God, there is a backwoods super murderer uh, out there and we've got to do something. This is when they discover that the phone lines have been cut. And Gina, I wanted to ask you, do you remember any other movie where the phone lines were cut? Now, he certainly pulled electrical cords out and and stopped electricity from going to a place but has he ever snapped a phone line before no and and also i i this was 2009 do they not have cell phones at this point well they all said they didn't have reception but wait i hold on i'm confused (laughs) i well i know it for one thing no reception in new jersey is very spotty um situation indeed but i thought that they did like 
he did call because he calls the cops and like, you know, because it's the world's longest wait for a cop to show up ever after, you know, somebody calls and goes, there's a murderer here. You must come to the house. Like, and then they, then they, they became cut like after, like the second time when he came in the house. Okay. Yeah. We watch it in such jangled, um, batches no it's so, okay i just watched i just watched i fr- i refreshed you know my memory <laughs> very s- recently okay i trust you implicitly well <laughs> that does explain why officer brack does show up a little bit later but we will get to that um but when trent comes down to find that jenna and claire are there he immediately is not concerned at all of their reports of a raging murderer on the loose he goes straight to accusing jenna of quote-unquote fucking this guy all over the woods for eight hours um (laughs) and here's the thing okay one sex sesh in the woods is more than enough for anybody it's dirty there's nowhere to clean up and bugs and finally bugs and poison ivy and poison ivy. I the whole dynamic of the relationship between her and Trent and then Trent and Bree, none of it makes sense. Because like I, you know, because at first you thought that he was like Trent was with her, and then like she runs off with Jared Padalecki, and then he just is like, All right, well, Bree's here, might as well get it in. And like that's all happening. And then to come out and be like, <laughs> Hey, it's not really fair that you 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 fucked the, the, the handsome floppy hair boy. Like, why are you doing? Like, none of that makes any yeah, logical I, sense I, I, at I, all. I, I feel like that there's like a lost scene of Trent just stewing because because uh, Jenna and Clay went off to wherever. And he just kind of looks over at Bree and's like, well, I guess you'll do. And then just cuts to the next scene. <laughs> yeah, some real true uh, strengthening of uh, the female characterizations in this film. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I would... Brie is kind of set up as she's just quietly biding her time until she gets a to a, be a murdered at Trent, which again kind of leads me to believe that none of these people were actually friends before they went on this trip. <laughs> the, the only, the only, the only, and and of course that's that's a that's a trope in in a lot of movies that doesn't usually play out very often in real life in which you know you know one you know one person in i mean it, it's pretty common for friends to have unrequited feelings for other friends but they're not usually just waiting for the first opportunity for for you know trouble in paradise to to jump right in and take the spot of the the other person's partner and yet that happens a lot in movies and i'm always wondering how are these people friends up to this point and and this is the thing a lot in these movies the dynamic is very strange between all these people i mean in the first couple of movies it made sense because they were working at the camp but then after a certain point it was like no we're, we're going to this campsite for the weekend to have a party with people we just met and it's just it never seems to work the the dynamic isn't there i think the only people that really seem like their actual friends are maybe lawrence and chewy yes i i don't understand it, it takes just heaven and earth to get people to come down to the South Bay to where I live from Los Angeles. Imagine getting a whole bunch of different people you don't know to go into the middle of fuck all New Jersey for the promise of don't spill beer here. That's what Trent has to offer. It's like, come, is, come, come stay here and get a nice weekend, a nice cup of class rage in my, in my, <laughs> My dad's hunting lodge. <laughs> yes. because, See, because, every, because everybody knows someone whose dad owns a hunting lodge. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're a rich white dude, I guess there's just like tons of them. I mean, I I should know better. I am from Connecticut, but unfortunately, I guess I just hung out on the wrong side of the tracks. But I just, for my own personal head canon for this one, I just figured Trent was trying to impress uh, Jenna or whatever. And uh, he invited her to this cabin and then just put out a Craigslist ad for some friends. Um, and therein, therein lies we get Chewy, Lawrence, and, you know, fucking Bree and whatever. Like, that's the only way that their relationship makes any sense. It's yeah, like I, think we, would- I think we said before he put out one of those, one of those ads with like a little piece of paper he tear off. You know, you know free hunting. <laughs> Looking ca- for friends. Free hunting lodge. BYOB. Bring, bring your own bong exactly. in a suitcase. 
Yeah, uh, it's mystifying. I don't know that we're ever going to find any answers to no, any not, of you, the you, weird you, conglomerations. You never do. There, there's no. There's, that's there's not what these movies are made for. Yeah, there's never an explanation <laughs> as to why these people would would agree to to spend an entire weekend out in the middle of nowhere with each other. Uh, Alicia, you, you say something that that prompts a question in me. You say that's not what these films are made for, and yet in three, in four. In seven, not in eight, not in nine, in ten, they're in space. But you have a certain <laughs> amount of these movies where this is a common thread. At some point, someone at Sean S. Cunningham's production company was like, you know, when you get a bunch of people you barely know out into a cabin in the woods, and everyone had that same common experience because they never bring up, no, that doesn't fucking happen to anyone at any time. And yet it happens time and time again in these films to the point where now decades later in a remake where they could do anything they wanted, they still went back to this. In my mind, someone's promoting this as a lifestyle and we're just not picking up on it. I, I feel like maybe it is. It, does it help to maybe, you know, be you kind of happy? I mean, for lack of a better word, when some of these characters get killed off. Because I mean, I think there's a reason why why you know the hardest deaths to take are Chewie and Lawrence, and it's mm-hmm. not because it's not just because their their deaths are you know as I ranted about in the last episode when it came to Chewie, their deaths are unnecessarily prolonged and cruel. It's because you know they actually seem like they like each other, and yes. and they seem like believable friends and thus believable people. And I feel like if you have a bunch of no-name, attractive people who who the only thing they have to offer is that they're attractive and they might get naked, that, that it's 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 easier to to pick them off one by one. That the audience won't feel any sort of have any sort of you know issues with morale morality as far as you know being entertained by these otherwise you know, you know, likable people who who you know if not for encountering Jason Voorhees might have gone to work with the poor or, or teach, you know, underprivileged children or something. I mean, Trent wasn't going to do anything useful with his life. I would argue that's absolutely intended. Like absolutely a hundred percent. The whole reason that they even go with this premise is so that they can get a bunch of tropes of people that either society doesn't like, or you just find really fucking annoying so that either you're really, really mad when they get murdered and you want justice for them or you're really fucking happy because it's some sort of weird cathartic release of like, I fucking hate this type of person. And look, now they're getting it. You know, it's it. That's that's the whole that's the whole point. I would agree with that. But I also would say that it, especially at this particular age, when you're college or just out of it, you are more than likely in a group of people where there is one person you actively hate because they're dating someone you kind of like, and you are forced to hang out with them in a social situation that you did not want to. Mm -hmm. And when he comes out on the porch and announces to everyone at a party, I'm 27 and you can't touch this. And I respond, it doesn't look like anybody wants to Jimmy. And then it's a big fucking deal because everyone's had too many hash brownies. This I'm is sorry. this is a personal I, story, right? I'm like, sorry. Back, come, come am I talking on a podcast? I blanked out. I forgot what I was come, talking come about. Back, Anyways, come, come back. I just got real okay. nervous. <laughs> uh, but you're you're always surrounded by people that you don't necessarily want to hang out with but generally like you're an uber away from getting out of that situation I was say, you're not going to spend like a weekend you know out in god knows where with, with these people just essentially trapped with them that's where i think it's it's it it takes something that you you would go okay i'm fine with this and takes it to an extraordinary place but then again most people don't end up being you know hacked and slashed by a backwoods mutant so there's that too. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I've barely won everyone over. I'll take it as a victory. We're, we're still digesting that 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 rant about Jimmy and, and hash browns. Um, yeah. Hash brownies. Hash, hash brownies. brownies. I told everyone to just hash take browns. One. You're so pure. You're so pure. <laughs> they were hash browns. We were having a light breakfast. <laughs> And I told everyone, don't get too crazy with those hash browns. I used a lot of canola oil. (laughs) (laughs) 
I clearly oh. had a, a much less exciting youth than Patrick did. Oh, that wasn't youth. <laughs> that, that, that he was, was like, that was last week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was not all that long ago. So here we go. Uh, let's get back into this. Yeah, we um, still haven't even gotten to Lauren Stag. Like, we uh, have like three people that have to die, so we haven't even gotten to any of the deaths that we're, we're 30 minutes into about, talking. <laughs> we're only talking about 10 minutes of this. We're, we're trying to make weight here. Um, so, Lawrence, uh, upon hearing that, A, people are in trouble, Chewie is not there, he decides, I am going to go find my friend. And in order to do that, he grabs two items one is a fire poker. I'm sorry, three items. One is a fire poker. One is a flashlight. And the other is a walk. And when he walks around with those items, he looks like uh, some sort of Roman centurion who needs to find his keys that he dropped. Or like or like a, a kid who wants to dress like Captain America, but his parents forgot to buy him a costume. <laughs> yes. I just thought he looked like a really crafty Doctor Who companion. <laughs> I can see that he's using what he has. Lawrence would be a great Doctor Who companion. I really do. You know, he just has to stop jerking off at really, really random and inappropriate places, like a middle of a living room where people could walk in at any moment. Well, the TARDIS has a lot of empty rooms that we never really see. This is true. I definitely don't want to go down this path, though. (laughs) (laughs) Come back to us when Alicia and I start a new podcast. Where would you masturbate on the TARDIS? No. (laughs) The answer is that's private. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds to me like Alicia's got an answer, but she's keeping it to herself. So Lawrence enters this giant tool shed slash four car garage and spies a spatter of blood on top of this, uh, you know, on the ground freezer. I don't know what you call that, where you keep your spare meat. Yeah, never it's, had a meat, one of these. it's a meat freezer. A freezer. Meat freezer. I grew up in Glendale. It's we don't have meat. extra meat. It's just called a freezer, Patrick. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it had a, a fancy name. Um, it's but called, in, it, in these movies, it's called it's called corpse storage. Corpse storage. That's very true. Uh, but he opens it to find a lot of dead meat, but none of it is chewy. Turns out that chewy has been suspended from the ceiling somehow in one of Jason's patented indoor outdoor interior decorator jobs. I'd rate this one a three out of 10, not his finest moment. I want something splashier. I don't know. I really like the kind of element of surprise of all of a sudden. So Chewie's there, you know, just like, it's like a nice little, uh, you know, like mistletoe, but with murdered people. <laughs> well, it's also you know, playing back into uh, Jason's ability to always predict what someone's move is going to be. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the person's going to check the freezer. To say, although, would you check a freezer? I mean, if no. you if you if you if you were looking for someone and you went down to the basement and there's a freezer in there, would it occur to you, hey, maybe they're dead and their body's stuffed in this freezer? Uh, if there's glass and blood on the floor and blood on the freezer, absolutely. I grew up in the era of police television. I've watched so much Law and Order and CSI and all of the things. Growing up with my grandparents, I, I could... I am. I could be a detective. I'm fairly convinced I would be a great detective. <laughs> I would find so many clues. <laughs> uh, excellent. You're on the team. <laughs> I believe you. Uh, Lawrence does uh, manage to get some licks in uh, during this. Uh, before he went out there, he said, you can't handle me. I'll surprise you every time. And so we're set up with Lawrence perhaps being a person uh, quite like the boxer from part eight, whose name escapes Julius. me. I Julius. Thank you, Gina. He's sort of set up like a a Julius character where he's someone who might be able to at least go toe to toe with Jason for a bit. Um, And he gets some nice licks and he gets a fire poker in the thigh of Jason and perhaps a jab to one of his clavicles. I'm not sure. This this sequence is is filmed under the impression that it's an entry in the the Bourne franchise. It's a lot of shaky cam. I really like how quick and nimble Lawrence was. He was able to get in a few little beats. I would argue he probably had the longest tussle with Jason, with the exception of Petalicki and his sister at the end. Because, and I, I was appreciative of that, if nothing else. 
because they did just they did you know murder the two minorities in very quick succession like very quickly in this movie well i mean jason's typically a a stock and slash surpriser like he'll come in take care of business and disappear into the night he's he's got a little bit of the batman uh vampire action going not so much like he was in part eight that he goes full dracul in that one uh this, oh is, this is yeah oh yeah he grabs a canadian cop and pulls him into a dark alley like he's going to seduce him with secrets of the night <laughs> oh my i don't know if you noticed this is the only friday the 13th movie i've seen in full <laughs> so i don't know any of these other nonsense notes he's, he's tried wild on, he's, he's tried on a few different suits. i know he fought i know he fought freddy krueger i remember everyone seeing that one like my wait, wait. sophomore year of college <laughs> oh we're getting to that one uh maybe uh, we have to get through the whole entire nightmare in elm street series first so we'll get there eventually <laughs> uh, anyways <laughs> Uh dear. Um, so uh, a debate. Uh, wait a second. Lawrence breaks out of this very expansive tool shed and makes a break for it. And Jason, who apparently has been watching some ESPN two lumberjack games action, picks up an axe and flings it a good twenty yards right into poor Lawrence's back. And that is a amazing throw, just for anyone. I mean, that could have just clanked off his skull. And he still would have, you know, felled him. That that that's an amazing shot. All those hipsters that are doing axe throwing in 2018 watching this now are so jealous of his. Yeah. I, was gonna, I was exactly going to say the exact same thing. There's like places you can go now to throw an axe if that's what you want to do with your life. I mean, I'm sure it's very, uh, very good for the Instagrams. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure each place has a you know super cool hashtag. But again, <laughs> due to not not to belabor a point, but he you know, if he can throw an axe that accurately and that hard, just take the poor kid's head off with it. I mean, I mean, again, this is prolonged. It is setting up a a, a, a a lore for the people in the house, which is something he's never done before. No, he's never set a trap like this before. Yeah, yeah I no, didn't. Like, I didn't like it. Know, it's just. <laughs> It's it's prolonged of this poor character just wailing for help and everybody's just standing around now. Like, I don't know what do you want to do? I don't know what do you want to do. I don't know what do you want to do. And it's yeah. just like and it's like it's like this person's dying like about ten yards outside the house. One of you can go out there and drag him into the house. Here's an idea. Three. Maybe all of you could go out there and try. Exactly. Into all of you could do this together, but Bree crumples on the ground. Trent and Clay are slapping chests still. Jenna's like, we should do something. Clay's like, no, we shouldn't. That's a trap. I would not want to decide what Mexican restaurant to go to with this crew. Nevertheless, go on a rescue mission with them. Uh, at this point, no one's coming out. So he might as well take care of Lawrence. <laughs> It's like well, these his animals. one humane moment where he's like, you know what? These guys are not good friends. I'm just gonna kill this guy. Sorry, like, that's I'm, fucked up. I'm sorry, man. You, you squash. <laughs> I, I didn't so know just, that. I, did, I didn't know these are gonna be these people are gonna be total shitheads and wouldn't come out to help you. Kind of friends are these people? He whispers in into his ear, a la you know, hail Hydra. I'm sorry, your friends are dicks. Body slam. <laughs> Uh, so Lawrence gets that axe that was just sticking out of his back uh, all the way through his chest. R.I.P.D. Lawrence, we hope that you're jerking it to a Montgomery Ward catalog in heaven. Oh, I thought it was L.L. Bean. <laughs> well, I I think, just assumed I'm from think, New England. I, think, I can't I think, help myself. I think by 2009, it was probably L.L. Bean. I think Montgomery yes. Ward had, had folded old. in the economic crisis that came here. <laughs> Um, so we got some, uh, good old fashioned, uh, backwards ninja action here. When Trent looks out the first floor window, the camera pans up to find Jason has teleported to the second floor noiselessly. I know. So amazing that parkour. no one can hear it. <laughs> no, no, he is. Derek Mears is a very large man. 
And I don't think he could, uh, you know, come to your house with a six pack of beer noiselessly. Nevertheless, leap onto the second floor of a tin roof without making any noise. But hey, we're in a movie. What are you going to do? Truly, Bob Fosse heard about this moment, (laughs) revived himself, came to set and was like, tell me. Tell me how you did that fancy footwork. I must know more. (laughs) What I want you to do is wave the machete in a semi-circle, but then in close to your chest and then back out. Oh, you know what? Now I'm just daydreaming about an interpretive dance version of Jason Voorhees' life, and it's truly all I want. Just, like, really, like, told in the way of, like, of, like, very earnest, like, sincerity of, like, the guys from, you know, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, like putting this on, you know, like <laughs> I see this in my mind and I want it. <laughs> and yeah, will we ever get it? Someone surprises and, and compass tickets and you know we'll what? probably show the up. Internet is a magical place. It is full of all sorts of things. It's wild what sort of nonsense fan fiction and bullshit becomes real actual things you can watch. Yes. As a person who has seen the reanimator musical, I can attest to that. <laughs> so Trent uh, does not know that Jason's on the second floor. So he immediately heads there because underneath his old baseball glove and a porn DVD, he has a nine millimeter handgun. So this should go great because adding handguns to the mix always works out perfect. Truly every time yeah. without fail. Oh yeah. You know, he, he is completely incompetent. He, he is incompetent at being a friend. He, he is incompetent at sex and he's incompetent at using a handgun. I I mean, again, I I get the joke. It's, it's, it's not particularly funny or clever that, that, you know, the, 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 you know, the rich, good looking guy is a complete and useless boob. I mean, that's, that's something that is, that's again, that's a very common trope. Um, and, Again, him just wildly waving this gun around. But admittedly, I've I've never shot a handgun. I don't know that you're just going to be like, you know, just aiming it in all directions like Yosemite Sam. (laughs) That's generally frowned upon. In the room. Yeah. (laughs) My sister's a cop. In general, that is definitely frowned upon as far as gun handling is concerned. After him, we see Bree, who apparently has recovered from her minor meltdown where she put earmuffs on and just shouted at herself. Now she's looking out for Trent uh, and she manages to come upstairs and investigate a bathroom where she pulls back the shower curtain. Nothing is there. But lo and behold, Jason Voorhees is behind her. Now, somehow he has snuck into this room through a half open window that is surrounded on both sides by antique bottles for some reason. And I was just wondering, you don't have to get too personal, but what empty bottle do you two pile up near open windows where a breeze could blow on them? Like glass bottles? Yes, glass generally, bottles. Generally glass Exclusively. Bottles, yeah, glass bottles are... are it's the only place I keep my glass bottles. Are, are, are frowned upon in, in most bathrooms, I, I, I'm pretty certain. I mean, I, yes. I am not above accidentally leaving an empty shampoo bottle behind, but just, you know, random, you know, craft store bottles just lined up in, in my, in my bathroom. No, I, I generally try to avoid that because I am very clumsy and bathrooms are wet. Yeah, it is a terrible idea in almost every single facet, but we barely see it because once, uh, once Jason grabs a hold of her, once again, in that. I'm going to kidnap you pose because he covers up her mouth with his massive hand. Again, is Jason Voorhees a don't make noise while I kill you person? Because that's not really his MO either. He just kind of kills you, not let's do this quietly and for an extended period of time. Right. Which is like, why did he bother you know, trying to lure them out with Lawrence? Just go right into the house and kill everyone. You, you, you've done it before. We know you can do it. Well, I mean, but that's the thing. It's like, has he done this before? Because uh, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, this- I mean, we're, we're basing it on, on the, the, you know, the earlier iteration of, but is this the first time he's just gone on a mass killing spree? Is in, Jason Voorhees a noob and just really good at it the, like, I mean, the second the, he, time he, out? He obviously killed those people at the beginning, but I mean, again, is, is that the first time? You do realize you're begging Hollywood to make a Breaking Voorhees movie now, right? 
don't you? Oh, yeah, I mean, you I mean, understand. We, we, you we just like did that. If we if we had a dollar for every person who told us about LeBron James producing a new Friday the Thirteenth, it'd probably be more than our Patreon was making right now. But, but <laughs> we know. Oh, oh, we know. We, we, we've been told many times, and and I don't know. Is that the one that LeBron is doing? Really? Well, I don't. Well, I don't. I don't know. It's it's not. I mean, it's literally just announced that he was going to do one. I don't even know if there's actually even a script attached to it. But there, the the problem is, if very quickly in the legalese of this, is that Victor Miller, who wrote. The original Friday the 13th, he had that script before Sean S. Cunningham, who had the title and announced it in The Hollywood Reporter yeah. to a movie called Friday the 13th. He said, I, this is the title. I need a movie. He goes, I have a script that's a horror movie. You could call it Friday the 13th. Why not? And so Victor Miller was never let in on the money for any of the other Friday the 13th. And so when they sued each other, Victor Miller got the rights to the title for some reason, Friday the 13th, the domestic rights, but nothing about Jason or the hockey mask or any of the other things that you might associate with it for both domestic and international. So I don't know how LeBron is going to make anything out of this. I think it's just like, Someone said Halloween's really big right now. What's another franchise? He goes, well, I've always loved Friday the 13th. Why don't they bring that back? And then someone told Variety. And oh, that's yeah. like, I mean, and, this and is about as far as this is going to go. And the Halloween remake made a grillion dollars at the box office. So these are these are all coming back. They're, they're yes. all coming back. We're going to be doing this forever. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we're just going to oh. be like, we're going to be... You know, at a nursing home in Los Angeles and and in New York. Yep, it's Friday Thirteenth Part Forty (laughs) Two. You know, Patrick's Uh, gonna take that long draw on his oxygen tank before going on to the next next part of the series. Oh, just thinking about it in a rest home. I just I can't. We're gonna be getting that that Patreon and Bitcoin. Man, you're gonna be paying for my rascal uh, (laughs) uh, Patreons. Pony up. Hopefully by then rascals will fly. Oh, God they better willing. fucking fly. Everything better be flying. So <laughs> Jason picks up poor Bree and slams her into a decorative pair of antlers. Who you, the fuck decorated this place? Who decorates a bathroom with antlers? It's a hunting lodge. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Also, I'm going to make a statement as a, uh, a early 30s white girl. Um, you can get those at Anthropology, and they're very cute hangers for your coats and also your jewelry and also scarves. I'm just saying, I liked the antlers. <laughs> I just, Listen, I... I- I, I just, I, I, you know, of all the movies this pays many, many homages to, it did not need to pay an homage to Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> yeah, that's very which true. Is what, which is what everybody always thinks of when they see someone impaled on something like Antlers. Although that's not even the first horror movie to do that. Do you know which one it was? No. It was Salem's Lot. <gasps> Salem's Lot. Yeah. The, the, the TV version was the first movie, to my knowledge, that, to, that featured someone getting impaled on deer antlers. Which, again, is something I don't think has ever happened in real life. And yet, you see that a fair amount in horror movies. True Detective, Hannibal, mm-hmm. also those. <laughs> That's always what I think of when I see antlers and murder. I a- think a- antlers, mostly Hannibal. Antlers became suddenly became something very inexplicably creepy in the past 20-odd years. Everyone is afraid of being picked up by a giant and being slammed into them. Well, it is um, kind of funny because it is like, it's it's like fingernails. It's like finger and toenail, basically. Like, if you think about it like that, it's like a very long fingernail. <laughs> and then imagine it, take that in your mind, and then think of that attacking you. <laughs> Sorry. I, I hadn't uh, thought about that from now. Now I'm never going to be able to think of anything else. You're <laughs> welcome. <laughs> This ick brought to you by Alicia Lutz. So um, in the midst of this, uh, Trent hears a noise and immediately assumes it is the girl that he told to leave his house, not the girl he just had sex with. He may not be operating with a full load, but just in the midst of this, we happen to see lights. So it is Jason. They're red and blue and they're spinning about. It's Officer Brack uh, who has been called to the scene. The only, and we cop, get, the only cop in town. 
he was he was on he was he was on duty in the morning and he's on duty at night. <laughs> yes. They had uh, to take him out of dinner to come to this, and that's why it took five hundred years for the one cop in town to not call any backup and take eight hundred years to respond to cries of murder. <laughs> well, he may be getting a lot of cries of murder because he lives in Crystal Lake, but then again, does he? Because is this Jason Voorhees? second murderous rampage we may never know what i do know is this we watch this car drive down a driveway and park in front of this house for a full minute riveting stuff everyone great work (laughs) i'm sure everyone in the theater will be on the edge of their seat wondering does he use the e-brake how much gas is left in that car we may never know and we didn't care in the first place why do i watch a man park a car for a full fucking minute in a friday the 13th movie in order to watch him be murdered immediately thereafter (laughs) i think he had one line in the whole movie Wait, well, is that whole like back and forth with Clay? Oh, I'm sorry. Like, Four weird, lines. <laughs> weird. Yeah, what he basically, says, you know, Clay is saying, "Well, I'm looking for my missing sister." Yeah, well, we can't help you. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, the most heartless, heartless cop. Yeah, your sister's not here. Your dead sister. Get out of here, kid. Yeah, We're not like, in what? the missing maybe sister should, business. Maybe you should try looking someplace else other than the last place she was seen alive. <laughs> That's too much sense. Brack announces himself as a cop at the locked door, which is uncommon nowadays, uh, but must have been all the rage in 2009. And uh, before Jenna and Clay can actually open the door, Jason drops down from the second floor and pushes the fire poker that he took off of Lawrence straight through Brack's eye, skull, and the door itself. So close to a hashtag get bunked, but so far away. Sorry, that's the end of Officer Brack. He was incompetent as every other law enforcement professional in this entire series. We do not have a lot of great cop action in the Friday the 13th franchise. It's not really known for it. It Canada a cop is as good as it gets. Well, he clearly couldn't have been that good of a cop because... Here's the thing. That creepy old lady that he that Jared Padalecki went to first clearly knew some shit. That woman had seen some stuff. She knew about Jason. And I don't think that that cop ever talked to her because if he had, he maybe would have been a little bit more hip to the fact that there was a hockey mask wearing super killer just running around his crystal lake. Well, somehow Jason's uh, pot sales are kicking back into the local economy. And that's why no one wants to talk about it. Or at least that's what this movie wants me to believe believe inexplicably wait really (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a there's definitely like some suggestion that the crystal lake's bountiful weed crops are are the (laughs) the the uh you know the the primary source of income in the town because apparently it's not a a a summer camp for children anymore or or a model train museum uh it's, it's you know it's these pot plants and and they're on the Voorhees property and and everybody's you know dealing the wacky weed is so you know they they they're turning their they're they're turning their backs on whatever it is he's getting up to whether it's regularly murdering people or you know kidnapping young women and keeping them in his underground cave system Mm-hmm. Oh, is that what Ben Feldman was talking about in that first movie in the first 20 minutes where it was a whole other movie a whole other friday yeah, the 13th movie to, and richie there was there to, to get the weed yeah, got it there to, to to you know get with wade yeah mm-hmm. those very important people <laughs> that was, we spent 20 minutes the first 20 minutes of the movie with before they all died yeah it turned uh, it was it started out as the pineapple express and turned into friday the 13th i i, I will ask this now I, I should probably wait until the next episode when we wrap this whole thing up but fuck it we've got so much to talk about in that one we might never get to this question is that section of this movie the best part is everything that happens afterwards kind of a letdown to the mini movie? Yes. In your minds? Yes. I think my favorite part of the movie is like the first minute and a half of the movie when the counselor is running away from Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah, and then she murders it, Mrs. Voorhees. That part's my favorite. It's, I mean, it's definitely, you know, trying to lift pages from several different Friday 13th movies, but it is literally three different movies in one. 
and yeah. and and each one is is tonally different and they don't really go together and they all seem like sort of half-finished scripts from written by various people that they all just decided to kind of clumsily stitch together where the common thread is the sister who who apparently nobody's been looking for other than other other than than, than clay yes. which is which is puzzling because did nobody find the bodies of the people he did kill no apparently they didn't find anything but my real question is that the re well it's not a question this is my statement this whole conceit is absolutely unbelievable in the year of our lord 2009 america where if a white girl a pretty white girl goes missing are you kidding me the whole fucking country knows about it and everybody's up in arms this is only a month after she disappeared what are you talking about everybody and their mother would be on the ground looking for this girl that's yeah, how our no, media system works. No, you're 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 <laughs> absolutely right. It doesn't make any sense that that when Clay shows up, everybody's really shifty about it, and nobody's interested in helping him. You know, the cops are blowing him off and telling him, you know, well, look anywhere else but the last place she was, and it's just you know the whole town has decided. Well, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna sweep this this murder of three people on under the rug and and you know a fourth person has just gone missing but we're we're just going to kind of pretend none of this ever happened and and yeah. it's just and, and again it, it doesn't really make any sense because it, it's implied that that jason is you know a local character yeah that, that, that's jason Voorhees. you you know how he is no you you don't tell us how he is. We don't know if this is something he's been doing a long time or he just became so enraged by yet another you know, group of asshole college students showing up on his land and taking his weed that he finally just started killing them. Yeah, at and least the original franchise had the excuse that his mom was killed and he somehow resurrected. Well, let's leave that behind. But yeah, I don't, I don't more get, people I don't, come I don't, to the remnants of, of, of Camp Crystal Lake and then he goes, oh. Mom tells me I have to kill this new group of people like she killed the old group of people. And it just goes from there. This is the, why are these people silent? What is wh where do you follow the money? How does this get back to if we let people know that Jason Voorhees is actively growing pot or killing people here? I won't get my stipend this week like how does this work again like a, this know, is where there might have been, been some dumb twist where you know the the Voorhees family actually owns the town <laughs> well this is you know seriously this is where like I feel like my head cannon is way more fun for me and for this movie like if that if any of this for any of this to like plausibly take place in the way in which it does, there's to me, there's only one logical explanation. And that is, is that there's a secret underground cult in those hell tunnels uh, that is Jason Voorhees is like the God of, and he has some sort of crazy ritualistic control over this town so that he can just casually murder and get away with it. It's the only logical uh, solution here. I think, yeah, I think that, I think I'm, very logical here. Yeah, but then you're getting into uh, Halloween six, where yeah, where, the, where you found he was some sort of group. like in in a cult, and but you know what, your your explanation makes about as much sense as any other explanation you could possibly come up with in this in this movie. But yeah, every other explanation is better than what the movie yeah, it's, it's, to explain. I, I don't get the impression that that he is killing out of revenge for for you know what happened to his mother because again is it is it supposed to be i mean, I, I watched this a couple of weeks ago i've kind of forgotten some elements of it but the the scene with mrs Voorhees is that supposed to be at the camp like yeah it says 1980 so is that supposed to be that's supposed to be a rehash of the friday first, the first the 13th yeah. yeah okay but it's not it's no longer an operating summer camp it's just some sort of place where one family has a hunting lodge and a lot of weed grows there so you know what is the, what is the constant revenge he's supposed to be trying to get i, I that is a good question why those are questions until now those are questions for tuesdays with four i'm asking they don't get because I, I, I don't know why i'm asking it doesn't get they don't get answered <laughs> no i think we could rename the podcast that these are questions that'll never be answered <laughs> but it's not quite as as snappy as kill by kill if i say so myself so i think that brings us to that moment in time where we ask ourselves to 
choose our own death venture. And up for bid this time are three deaths. An axe through the torso, uh, rammed into a decorative antlers in a dark bathroom, or have a fire poker shoved through your eye in the back of your skull. And so, Alicia, as our guests, I ask, which death do you choose and why? Oh, I'm taking Officer Bracky's Hundo P all the way. It's the least amount of interaction that you have to have with Jason. You don't even have to see him. Your last dying look is not at Jason Voorhees. And for me, I think that's a win for anybody just because you never know what's what happens with your brain after you die. Um, and, uh, you know, he just he. It's it's unjust and it's fucked up, but it's not as fucked up as poor Lawrence having his friends watch him die. It's not as fucked up <laughs> as, you know, poor Chewy. And I just don't like Bree, so I wouldn't want to die that way. It seemed like you would suffer a lot. So I'm going with Bracky all the way. All right. I sense a trend. Gina, what say you? I actually I'm actually gonna go with Lawrence because because I want to say that oh, I went God. down fighting. <laughs> okay. I, I, I all right. I, I would hope that's that- fair. I would hope that my friends would care enough about me to maybe create a human chain that could possibly (laughs) drag my dying corpse in so I could be surrounded by people who care about me as I take my last ragged dying breaths. But, you know, I mean, but on the other hand, at least I could say I, I, you know, got a got a couple hits in before, you know, before checking out of this world. (laughs) Uh, Well, I now, I've heard both of your answers, and I think they're absolutely correct. Uh, but I am going to go a different way, and I'm going to go impaled on decorative antlers. Ugh. Because at least in this Texas bathroom, I'm not surrounded by a bunch of inspirational word signs like in my mom's Texas bathroom. Uh, she can't <laughs> live, have any wall that does not have a definitive <laughs> statement on it. And at least here, there's some place to put your towel or, you know, my corpse. I, I'm sorry. There's just something hilarious, though, about someone being murdered in a bathroom and they collapse to the floor. And right next to them, the sign says, live, love, laugh. <laughs> right about their heads. One says, hang in there. And it immediately falls on their head exactly. after they fall on the ground. Yeah. Where were you during this rewrite session? You should have been in this room. No, I should have been. Somebody <laughs> hire me to punch up your films. I'm very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, that just about does it. Before we go, let's do a, a, a few plugs. Alicia, where can people find and hear more from you? Mostly on the internet, uh, primarily Twitter. And if you follow me there, I apologize in advance. Um, my handle is at Alicia Lutz. I tweet too much. I'm trying to, to put a lock on that. Um, but I also host a monthly storytelling series at The Ruby here in Los Angeles. It's a intersectional feminist comedy space up on Sunset Boulevard. And the show is called The Nope Show. Uh, we're actually on hiatus uh, until January because I have to handle some family stuff. But uh, it's really fun and it's just ridiculously, hilariously, horrifyingly real stories uh, told by awesome people. And uh, yeah, and then I'm just, I'm writing all over the internet, a Hollywood reporter. Uh, I did some stuff for Cosmopolitan recently. I've got some other things in the works that I'm very excited about uh, that hopefully I can tell you about more in the future. All right, we will we will always update our audience on Twitter about your happenings uh, from here on out. Uh, Shucks, thanks. Oh no, you're doing us the favor of having funs with us with this goofy movie. Hey, Gina, uh, where can people hear more from you on these internets? I write about uh, old television and movies and pop culture at my website, GinaRadcliffe.com. I have also been recently writing reviews for Alka Hollywood. Um, uh, I just recently reviewed The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is fucking awesome. Um, it is. I reviewed that for IGN. It's so good. It Sorry, I just very, got so excited. Good. No, no, no. Um, and next month, I, I have been informed that I will be reviewing the, the Kurt Russell Santa Claus movie, which I am incredibly excited about <laughs> because I just I just love the idea that he is evidently using his own beard. And I, and, and I think that that's, he just kept the beard from the hateful eight said, fuck it. Now I'm Santa Claus. I, I'm with oh, you. I, I'm with you all the way, Kurt. I will follow I'm you all the way in. I will follow you into hell and back. Oh my gosh. I wish they got Goldie Honda to play Mrs. Claus. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm out. 
you never it. know. Oh. There, might, there might be a drop in scene. Oh, I gotta help. I'm gonna Google everything now. I'm so excited. <laughs> and I'm also I'm also on Twitter under Porcelain72. Do it today, people. Check it out. And of course, uh, what about our Patreon, Jada? Uh, we have a new patron, uh, Kelly Houlihan. And I just wanted to say that, uh, although I mentioned him in the last episode, Benjamin White raised his pledge to $5. So that means he's going to see our very first bonus episode, which should hopefully be available by the time this, this episode goes live. It's going to be us talking for about an hour about Mandy. Another another movie that involves someone being able to throw throw an axe at an impossibly fast and powerful speed. Well, he's uh, a lumberjack, though. Like he's a legitimate that's lumberjack. That's true, and he literally made the axe with his own hands. Even even <laughs> even even Jason could not th- does not have that level of dedication and craftsmanship. That yes. movie was so wild. Oh, I can't! <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about it. Oh man. <laughs> It's a good one. Uh, people, check it out. And so, of course, if you want to hear more from us, uh, Twitter is an easy way to do it, at Kill by Kill Pod. Uh, on Instagram, at Kill by Kill Podcast, uh, we have the Facebook page and group to get into more details. And so that just about does it for this week. But don't worry, the body count will continue. And so until then, for myself, for Gina, and for Alicia, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. To live.